1: harm you if you are eager to do good, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ our Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting For the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Maintain a good conscience so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In which, he was, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few—that is, eight lives—were saved through water, and baptism, which which is prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord.
0: I invite you to take out your notes page there as we get our time started today as one of the inserts in your bulletin. If you are joining us online, uh, there's a link. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would continue to learn and grow in this living hope that we are called to embody, and that we would look to Christ and your spirit as the living hope that emanates from us. For it's in their name that we pray, Amen. That that first verse always catches me off guard. When when Peter and I mean you know you got to think of the context and situation that's happening here, right? So uh, most of these uh, New Testament epistles—that's pretty much everything except for the Gospel, the four Gospels and hebrews and revelations they're believed to be the rest of them in there all of the corinthians and romans all the letters of paul peter john all of those they're believed to be letters to these early communities and so when the letter would arrive to these communities they would unscroll it you know because that's how they did things they didn't come via the usps back then so they had a different level of dysfunction in their mail service but they would unscroll it and they would read it and they would have some sort of authority figure in their community who would read the letter out to all of the members of the community and then after the letter was done being read in its entirety they would get together and they would contemplate what it meant for their community so imagine if we if you will that we are in ancient biblical uh, times, and we are unfurling the scroll that the great and wonderful and awesome disciple Peter has sent us, and we are so excited because Peter has written to us, and we get to this point in the letter, and Peter says, now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought is, have you ever heard of Jesus, Peter? <laughs> yeah. Maybe... Maybe Stephen? Or, I mean, haven't you been to jail a few times? (laughs) You see, the answer may seem pretty duh to us, right? We can look at what Peter is writing in the context of the people reading this letter. We can think, well, duh, a lot of people are going to harm us. And in fact, the harm might be either stoning or Death on a cross or something as such, and even in our current time, what is the, there are often uh, negative sufferings for doing good, even though it, you know, that is regrettable in our society, but you know, the answer seems pretty right there, but you know, if there was ever a reason not to take a verse out of context, I think we are observing that here today. Because what we see, if we continue to read, is this line of thinking. It's not as much, for Peter, about the question, but it continues to be about this understanding of faith in the midst of suffering. And really, I mean, I'll, I'll get to this later, but really, I mean, this verse is not really about suffering. It is about living your faith. Now, some of you will remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about suffering. We talked about suffering in a communal nature and what we learn from suffering as a community and as individuals, and then how that allows us to relate to one another. Just as we know Christ relates to us because he suffered on the cross, so too can we take our suffering, no matter what it is, and help to relate to others. Even if my suffering is not the same as your suffering, it gives me the context of knowing what pain is. And creating a more empathetic spirit within each of us. So you'll remember that's where we were a couple of weeks ago. But now we have Peter coming to us talking about suffering for doing good. And what does it look like to suffer for doing good? Does it prevent us from doing, should it prevent us from doing more good? Should it prevent us from living the faith that we have? And Peter answers this question that begins this section of Scripture, and he begins to explore the context of suffering that is caused by living our faith, right? Living our faith in almost a way that is a standing up for what we believe in. We do good because we feel called to do good. And in the midst of that, when something happens in retort to that doing good, we stand firm because we think we have done good, right? We think we have done good. And we stand firm in who God calls us to be. And so we remember that as we look in this verse, we read this with a sense of standing firm in our faith, but also knowing and seeing the way that our faith is lived out in the world. When we do good and suffer, what does it look like for, to question the meaning and purpose behind that good that we did, behind the suffering that we experienced, And how do we continue on in our faith? Right. This is both an internalized and an externalized understanding of living our faith because the way that we respond to people who cause harm against us when we're doing good, it causes us to pause and reflect. But it's also a manner of understanding why we do the good in the first place. And so we looked a couple of weeks ago and answered the question, why do we suffer? And really, honestly, it's not an easy question to answer, right? Suffering is part of our nature of living in a broken world. And we're told that it's through our suffering that our faith is built. Well, why does our faith get built? Because it strengthens our relationships, right? When you go through hard times, there is a sense of relying on someone, something to help get you through it, right? When your relationship with a friend is going through a hard time, the reconciliation in that friendship becomes the thing that strengthens that relationship. And it's the same with God and our relationship to creation and even the community of the church. And so as we look and see in this passage, the purpose that we see in building our relationship with God, the outcome that it can be of suffering in a relationship with God is knowing that God is always there to pick up the pieces of our broken heart and our broken spirit. Right? It doesn't make it any harder, but we know that God is there. And so here, Peter, having established in chapter 2, right, that's where we were a couple of weeks ago, having established this nature of suffering, is now like, okay, here you go. You're going to suffer, friends. I'm sorry. There's no two ways about it. Suffering is present in our world. But here we go. If you suffer for doing good, then you are blessed. Now, let's clarify for a second. This, this is Peter saying that if, if you suffer for doing good, it's not meant to scare us away from doing good. And I think that that's part of this conversation. But if you suffer for doing good, then you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be intimidated and so what is Peter calling us to do? What is Peter calling us to do here? Remember your faith. Remember your calling, right? It's going to get tough. It's going to be difficult. And so when, when, when we read that first verse, right? When we read that question, who will do harm if you are eager to do good, right? Our first response is, well, duh, sometimes people don't like people who do good. And, and right we're laughing, some of us are chuckling in our heads. I chuckled when I wrote that line because I'm like, really people are not going to like me because I do something that's good? People aren't going to like me because I do something that's good? People aren't going to people are going to cause harm upon me if I try and go down into poor communities and I try and help feed them or I try and help build them up. People are going to do and bring harm against me if I go to countries that are ravaged by war and I try and bring medical supplies or aid or help. People are going to harm me if I try and say that we should treat people with love and respect and equity. People are going to hate me for acting like Jesus. I mean, I go back to the beginning of my sermon, friends, but we remember what happened to Jesus, right? We're not that far past Easter. We remember, right, everybody? Everybody remembers. Unfortunately, sometimes the good that we can do might not necessarily be viewed as good in the eyes of others. And this is where this understanding comes into play. Because what Peter is trying to get us to understand here is the grounded nature of our faith. Why do we do good? Yes, we can say that we do good because God calls us to do it. But does that necessarily always make it good? Do we often always do it in the best way that God often intends for us to do it? Yes, I can go and I can give somebody something. But is it necessarily good if I haven't given them the understanding of either how to use it, what to do with it, if I continue to allow other systems to take advantage of them? Right, the good... Can often be overweighed by some of the negative impacts. And these are the important pieces that we need to consider because whenever we do anything, there are consequences. Right? Whenever we do anything, any anything that we do, any word that we say has a consequence. I'm not going to make an example here because I don't want to to have any consequences of that. But yet I continue to preach this sermon. Any word we say, anything that we do has consequences. And when we make a decision, when we think to ourselves, what is good? We are in that notion naming consequences that might happen. Right. Remember back in Nazi Germany, when Christians were hiding Jewish people in their houses, when the SS would come to the door and knock and say, do you have any Jews? There is a sense and notion in which they have to weigh the consequences of the good that they think that they are doing. Right when a white person would sit and advocate with black people in the 60s and participate in protests and sit-ins, They would have to understand the consequences of what they were doing. Any act of protest or advocacy comes with consequences. And understanding those consequences and considering the good that you are doing in the process is part of that nature of living out our faith. Right? This is why I would say that this message that Peter is offering here, these, these uh, 12 verses here in, in the third chapter of 1 Peter that we're looking at, this is why I would say it's less about suffering and it's more about how we live our faith. And yes, I denote living our faith to talking about our faith. I make that difference because you know, I think one of the things that's gotten us in trouble as a denomination, even as a religion, is that all we do is talk about our faith. All we do is try and talk about Jesus. All we try and do is, is pretty much put Jesus into people's brains. And yet, when we try to put, pe- put Jesus into people's brains, we don't actually live the faith that we believe in. We don't actually live as if Jesus has changed and transformed us. All we do is talk about Jesus. And friends, sometimes that can be a little irritating. I think the greatest thing that we can do for helping to spread the faith, for helping to spread who Christ is, is to live as Christ called us to live. And so when we talk about the difference between talking our faith and living our faith, I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations of faith where I've not started the conversation with, Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm a Christian. Have you heard the good news about Jesus Christ today? And instead have had great conversations of faith when their first understanding of me is just as, Andrew. Oh, Andrew, what do you do? Oh boy, I got a story for you. <laughs> you see, I'm not I'm not ashamed, because I do tell them. I do tell them that I'm a pastor in the United Methodist Church. <laughs> and I do tell them that, yeah. Whew, it leads to some good. Now that now that's a different thing because my job in titles kind of puts me in that space of automatically having to talk about religion. A lot of y'all could probably say, well, I'm a tax accountant. Not a lot of people are responding to that one either. (laughs) But I also wonder when we're going around and we're creating relationships with people, that the more we just present ourselves living in the example of Christ, that we as people of faith become an example of the faith that we believe in. Then, when people ask us, hey, why do you do fill in the blank? And my response often will be, because God calls me to do it. Faith is often a more natural thing that can come about. And when we live by this example of Christ, when we grow deeper in this understanding of Christ, we are then sanctified. By Christ. Right? The more that we learn, the more that we grow, the more that we would mature in our faith. The more like Christ we become, and so then we become vessels for a visual, lived gospel. And that's what Peter is opening our hearts to. Because Peter is trying to get us to understand that we should not be ashamed to live our faith. Right, what's the word that he uses? Uh-huh. No one who will harm you if you are eager to do. And I say this, not talk. I wish I wasn't such a talker sometimes. No, really, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. Lord, <laughs> forgive me for lying. Here from the pulpit. I'll tell you, if I didn't talk, though, I think there'd be a lot more happy people in this world. <laughs> but even if you do suffer for what's that next word doing what is right you are blessed right, we are doing we are looked at and observed by creation for what we do and so the nature of suffering that comes down upon mm-hmm. us is often because of what we do Not all, and, and I mean yes we're talked about it by what we say But think if we backed up what we say with our actions. Think if we backed up the love of Jesus Christ by actually living like we love Jesus Christ instead of pretending like we love Jesus Christ. What if our rhetoric matched the people we were called to be? What if we said when God loves you, we actually believe that God loves you? And I know these seem like, oh, pastor, no, I've got this. I think I'm good at that. And I'm like, okay, cool. Keep doing it. Keep living it. Allow it to be the reason that you do things. And do not let the fear of what you think might happen to you do it and pre- or prevent you from doing it. You see, because I stand here before you knowing what some of the consequences for doing good are, right? Right? I look around our country, around creation, and I see the consequences sometimes for doing good, for trying to stand up for who Christ calls us to be, to stand up for the poor, the orphan, the widow, those who are labeled as the least of these in our society. And we begin to see these perpetual things happen, harm continue to be done, just because people can't understand the good that could come out of it, the society that we could build, the kingdom that we could build. Because it is all part of a calling of how we are called to live out our faith. I love this quote from James Cone. He writes, in God of the Oppressed, again, this understanding of oppression that exists in our world. He says, the Christian community is that community that freely becomes oppressed. Because they know that Jesus himself has defined humanity's liberation in the context of what happens. Think of that for, us, for to yourself for a minute. Are you yourself willing to be oppressed? for living the gospel that Christ has called you to live? Are you willing to be a pariah in society because Christ calls you to do great and amazing things? Peter desires for the hearts of those who are learning and growing our faith to rest in this intention of holy living. Yes, it is going to be difficult, just as it was difficult for Christ, but but Peter reminds us that in Christ's suffering, we have an empathetic spirit, an empathetic soul, an empathetic God who is there with us in all of this time. Jesus understands the suffering that we are going through. Why? Because Jesus was persecuted for his beliefs. Jesus was persecuted not because he taught about the gospel but because he lived the gospel and because there were people who were upset about the way that he lived the gospel the people that he talked about the people that he hung out with the things that he said the things that he did that's what got him in trouble and oftentimes that's what gets us in trouble too but is that any less of a reason for us to live our faith I love the section right before it. I don't know why it's not included in the lectionary. And I really tried my hardest because I did not want I, I did not want like 20 verses to be read this morning. I also didn't have room in our sermon notes for 20 verses, <laughs> but just a little bit before this. Oh, man, I, I didn't write the verse down. So I think it's, um, I think it's like verse 6 or 7. If you, if you open up your pew Bibles, it's right there in, in Peter 3. Peter says, Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. Do not, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. And so, what is Peter doing? Peter's coming at it from both ends here, right? He says that when we when we suffer, we should understand the good that we are doing, and know that that in that we have been blessed, right? When I go and I help to make sure that there is. Uh, affordable housing for people who are homeless, when I go and ensure that the people of this country have have good have, have good you know, medical care, when I go and I ensure that, that there are people who are not suffering in this world, when we go and we sit with the people who are in p- prison and we try and find natures of reconciliation to help them grow, when we see the suffering in this world and we try and respond in a way that God calls us to respond and someone doesn't like that and so someone pushes back And we suffer. It's a nature of intentionality, right? First, it causes us to pause and reflect. To know and understand, why am I doing this? But then also, it invites us to also know and understand how we're responding to this. Because when we know in the deepest depths of our heart that who we have been called to be, the people that we have been called to be. Remember last week when we talked about getting rid of anger, hatred, malice, judgment, insincerity. Remember when we talked about getting rid of all those things because none of those things do anything for the kingdom of God. And so when we look at that and we see that we have gotten rid of those things and we are functioning, we are growing and learning in this nature of love and grace that God calls us to live and reside within then what does it look like when suffering comes against us, when someone tries to persecute us for the way that we live, for the things that we do, for the God that we believe in? And it can be very easy to do what has been done throughout the ages. The Holy Wars, the Crusades, manifest destiny, the Great Migration, all of these things leading to persecutions of individuals. The slave trade. And yet, when we look at who God calls us to be, it is not out of, it, it, out of our suffering, we are not called to respond with more suffering. We are called to respond in the same heart and spirit that God calls us to live and reside within. And so, when someone angers me, it takes a lot. It does take a lot because I am still human after all. It really does become a reflection of who God calls us to be. Right? I've got to sit and reflect on, okay, am am I right? Because there is that subjective nature of good that that happens in our world. And then it becomes, how can I respond to this? And we respond in the same way that Christ did. And, And I don't need to read the verses again because it's almost as if Peter is rehashing just about every other thing that he has said about Jesus knowing the work that Christ did for us, we live and exist in a world that calls us to do good. Right When our response to harm is more harm, or even when our response to being harmed ourselves is harm extended to other people that didn't harm us, we continue these cycles of harm, of hatred, of judgmentalism. When we think something is going against us, our immediate thought is to fight back instead of... To sit and understand, instead of to sit and exist in the love that God calls us to live by. To live in a justified manner means grounding our faith, the manner of good that we do when we are called to portray it. Right, this this readiness that we have as a faith to defend the faith. Right, I have to defend the faith. Right, why do we use it as a weapon? instead can we not be embodied in the spirit to know and to live by the ideals that christ passes down to us i mean it's hard because we exist in a world where fight and flight are two responses to anger and yet it takes a it takes a different sort of mindset to be able to pause and know and understand. And so, but and so Peter calls us, he does call us to be ready. Right? In a way, be ready to defend your faith, be ready to defend why you're doing good, be ready to defend all of these things, but not in a way that causes more harm, in a way that continues to build this idea of community. We must always be ready to know that Christ died for us. And for the world that needs this great great witness of faith. And so the question for us becomes, how how is our witness a testament to that? Are we continuing to perpetuate suffering across our world? Or are we doing the good that God calls us to do in the face of the fear that others around us might present? Amen.